from the bright minds and marketing mavericks at SMPS New York, this is the Marketing Department. We're a team of marketing and business development professionals bringing you everyday conversations from a unique industry. Architecture, Engineering, and Construction, or AEC for short. The Marketing Department is produced through collaboration with SMPS New York, which offers members professional development, leadership opportunities, and marketing resources to enhance their careers. I just want to welcome everyone for joining us today on today's episode of the Marketing Department. My name is Tiffany Carter, and I am currently the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the SNPS New York chapter. I am also a Marketing Coordinator here at WSP. I have been in the industry for about uh, eight years now, and I find that before I took on this position, I didn't realize the passion that I had for DEI work. I don't think I would have called it that. I would have called it, uh, I want to make sure I'm not the only person of color in the room. <laughs> and so that is how I sort of approach all of this work. Uh, I am also a black woman, for those of you who do not know me. Um, so I always am looking for other, I am excited when there's more than one of me in the room, as opposed to me being the only one, as that is how I've spent much of my life. Uh, today's guest is Miss Alicia Washington. She comes to us from the SMPS Connecticut chapter, and I will let her take a moment to introduce herself. Great. Thank you, Tiffany. So yes, I am Alicia Washington. I am currently a principal and director of marketing and JEDI here at HRP Associates. We're a national environmental consulting firm. Um, I took this role on as JEDI director, which uh, stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Took that role on back in 2019. Um, I also was the, I am past president for the Connecticut chapter of SMPS, and I've been uh, in the in, in the industry for about 20 years. Uh, so yeah, I can't believe I can say that, but hopefully <laughs> I don't look it, but yeah, Not at all. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> I did start when I was 19 though, so I was pretty young. So you're really only 25. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's get into our discussion today. So my first question is actually, what started you on this journey? So uh, it's such a good question. I get that question a lot, actually. Um, you know, my children, is that's really the answer. Um, uh, I had my first child in 2015. And as soon as you know, that happened, you know, a lot of things change, you know, mentally, right? Physically, everything. And, um, and then I had my daughter in 2018, but looking at my children and, and understanding my life experiences and my husband's life experiences, I just did not want them to go through what we've gone through, uh, from being, you know, people of color. Um, so that's really what kind of drove my, um, passion to want to do something more in the, in, in my job, you know, in the corporate world. Um, you know, I was able to, you know, share stories about things that I went through coming into the industry super young too. Um, I was 19 when I came into the industry. So they really have been kind of my inspiration to keep doing this work. And that's kind of why I started, you know, started out. So I, um, I brought up, you know, working with, you know, minority owned firms uh, back in, my goodness, 2012, um, when I was on the board for SMPS Connecticut. And um, that's really kind of where the conversation started for me. So, um, but, you know, it's been 
I think being a person of color, so I'm Puerto Rican, um, I came from a very diverse community growing up and kind of starting the corporate world um, at 19. And, that you know, again, I was a teenager still, but really kind of shifting. It was it was a huge culture shock for me when I started in the corporate world because it looked nothing like nothing where like I you, came right? from. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, you know, back then, you know, we would call them microaggressions now, but back then all the comments that were coming across my way were, um, I just didn't understand um, a lot of it. So, you know, starting, you know, so young and kind of those first couple of years, it, it was very clear to me that, yeah, I'm different and people don't like it. Like, you know, it was very um, obvious. Um, but luckily I'm someone who is pretty vocal. I'm, I don't, I don't really back down from a lot of things typically. So I did kind of push more um, when I noticed that people were being, you know, discriminatory against me and, and things of that nature, I would just push harder. Um, and so again, once I kind of, you know, had my, once I had my kids, I knew that I don't want them to have to deal with that when they start, you know, working in whatever industry they start working. So. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know that I have spent the majority of my life in predominantly white spaces um, mm -hmm. and my parents made that decision purposely. They thought that would be the places where I would get better education and, and different opportunities. So I've always been sort of that only person of color in the room and I am used to that. And I get so excited when there's, I'm like, oh, there's two of us, yay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But also I didn't realize that I've spent so much of my life dealing with those microaggressions, like you mentioned, right? Because mm -hmm. it was just an everyday thing. And now that I'm older and I'm a bit more vocal about things, I can, I understand how to verbalize it and how to put it back in people's faces like like uh, at one point um I had straightened my hair and my co everyone that I was working with was oh your hair looks so good but if I come in with my natural curly hair you hear nothing and I'm, you didn't have to say anything right you didn't yeah, yeah. we didn't have to discuss the hair at all right so it's it's stuff like that or or when someone thinks that you, you you're so eloquent do you speak so well well why shouldn't I speak so well you know things like right. that nature Right. Um, so, yeah, no, I completely understand what you're saying. And I do hope that we do make it better for your children and for us while we're still here. For right? us. Yeah, <laughs> for all of us. Yep. Yes, very much so. Um, so you said you have this uh, Jedi position at your firm. Was that because you asked for it or because yes. the firm sort of. So explain to us how you got into that. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, every year in our performance review, uh, we have to establish SMART goals. And so I knew, and this was before George Floyd, this was before all of that. So, um, you know, I had, I started the, doing the work in SMPS Connecticut first. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I was like, okay, I can transfer this into my, my role here at HRP. Um, and so I had brought it up in my performance review, um, the, who is with the CEO of the company. So I report directly to the top and um, he loved the idea um, and he was like, yes, whatever we can do to support you. And it really started off pretty quickly. You know, I had a friend who was a DEI consultant. She is a DEI consultant. And so I just started working directly with her. And so we kind of started the, that initial process that we took with, you know, surveying the company, kind of getting a feel for where the company is from a cultural standpoint. Um, and then from there, we established, you know, training and, and things of that nature. So it, it, it went pretty fast. We have a pretty, um, 
open-minded leadership team here, which is great. Um, but uh, it's it's definitely challenging because I'm also the director of marketing. I have four staff uh, in my department, so kind of trying to manage you know, um, all of that and making sure that we're still moving forward on the Jedi stuff, um, is, it's important, but it's challenging. So, but it, that process went pretty smoothly. That's good. How long, how would you say you separate your job responsibilities? Do you spend more, I would assume more on marketing as opposed to the Jedi work, but how do you sort of split it? Yeah, I try to dedicate a day each week to, um, whether it's just taking notes, um, talking to to people, to employees, um, whatever it is on, you know, kind of keeping it going. Um, I do, and it's still very new. I mean, it's only been three years. Um, you know, there's a lot of coordination that happens with HR department. So I try to meet with her um, our HR director every quarter, uh, to go over, you know, different things that we can do. Cause there's a lot of overlap with like employee engagement and things like that. So, um, so I try to dedicate at least one day a week to kind of, you know, whether it's meetings I have to set up again, lots of note taking, there's always new information coming in, whether it's right podcasts or webinars or emails of, you know, kind of generating new stuff that we can do to keep, you know, putting the message out there. So um, that's what I try to do. Um, it's also, all, it's also hard to stick to that one day a week, depending on the week. Um, but that's how I try to do it. Okay, that's not so bad. I know that feeling. It's there's so much information, and when I took on this position, I was sort of like, I don't really know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> yes. But we're gonna make this work. And I've had um, people reach out to me, and they're like, Do you have papers? Do you have this? Do you have that? Oh, I don't have any of that yet. Like, I have. <laughs> there's so much research, and I don't know where to start to like what to share with the rest of the chapter. So you know, a little at a time. Like, hey, I found this podcast. Here's one thing for us, and here's a paper that I read, or here's like a article from the Harvard Business Review, yep. or something. You know, like passing it along slowly as I find it because you want to make sure that it's good information you don't want to just throw there's so much out there you don't want to give everybody overwhelming amounts of information right Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm working on that part, and I think part of what I'm going to do for this uh, coming calendar year for SMPS is really start to be better at disseminating information to the membership because mm-hmm. I think I get a lot of stuff, but I don't always necessarily get it out to everyone else, and that yeah. is is will be more helpful for everyone, right? So. Yeah. That's what I'm going to work on. Um, so you started with SMPS Connecticut um, working on diversity there. What was some of the first things that you did? I know you and I have talked about this, but I don't know mm-hmm. if our listeners have heard of what, how oh, you started sure. there. Sure. So, um, so like I mentioned earlier, I've been thinking about DEI since forever. Um, 2012 was really when I first started to kind of try to have the conversation with the board. Um, but I... You know, it's obvious that this this conversation isn't welcomed in certain spaces. So I decided that I was going to kind of work through the back door. Um, So, you know, to me, you know, you can't grow as a firm, as a chapter, unless you have a focus on DEI, um, because that's just the, the footprint of our world. So. I decided to um, focus on some of the areas where we were lacking, where we we needed to change. And so that included um, in Connecticut, it's a small state, but it's really divided by two specific counties. There's eight counties here, but there's really two areas. It's central Connecticut and then it's southern Connecticut, which is closest to New York, New York City. And 
you know, to get from Stanford, for instance, to Hartford for a program will take you over two hours. And just no one's doing that. Like no one's driving that, you know, people in Georgia and the South, they drive those that all the time, not in Connecticut where it's, it's might as well be a 12 hour drive. So, um, I knew that, you know, we were not, um, you know, serving members that lived in Southern Connecticut. So I, Uh, came up with that initiative that we needed to, you know, double our programming and do more within Southern Connecticut to make sure that we were serving those members because we did have members that who were located there. But also there was a whole slew of firms and and other uh, marketing professionals that um, didn't even know who we were. So um, that was one of the initiatives. The second one was creating a student pathway program, like making sure that we were recruiting students, that students in all Connecticut colleges knew who SMPS was, knew about the career opportunities. And then the third was um, engaging more technical professionals. Um, I knew that with all of these three initiatives, that if we did all of these things, we were going to at least diversify our participants and members, you know, ethnically, right? Because we knew, I knew that like the pool was bigger because frankly, the, um, marketing professionals in our industry are predominantly white female. Like we know that that's a fact. So if we were to expand, you know, our audience and our participants, I knew that we would at least get more men, you know, we probably get more people of color, um, and more people in different, um, backgrounds within the industry. And so that was kind of where I started. And so um, I wrote a blog about that. That was the year that I became the DEI. Well, I started the task force and then was the leader of it. Um, and then we just started working off of those three initiatives. So that's how that's where I started. I basically looked at where are we lacking and then kind of developed the DEI uh, foundation through those areas that we needed to improve. Yeah, uh, one of the ideas that we are gladly stealing with from you, mm-hmm. <laughs> dealing with pride, as my friend calls it. Um, we are actually going to do an outreach program here for colleges in the New York City area because mm-hmm. we this is a very diverse area and we have all these people and we find that so often people who are in the industry in the marketing and business development didn't necessarily know it existed, right? No, we right. didn't go to school for this. We weren't like, right. oh, we want to do marketing for the AEC industry. So we're really going to try and reach out to local colleges, to their marketing, their writing, their all different majors, and just sort of let them know that we exist and that mm-hmm. this job is a thing and they can come and hang out with us and, you know, we're thinking about maybe the internship option, but just to get them to come to some programs and see what we do and how they could be involved in the industry. And so that's where we're starting. We um, have put together a list of colleges we want to reach out to at this point, and where you've created our little PowerPoint. We just haven't gotten started with actually contacting people. So yeah. that's next on the <laughs> list. But that is our, that's how we're going to also grow our membership in the chapter, right? So a student membership is not that expensive. And it's not. And we cover it. We just, it's so cheap that we just cover the mm-hmm. the membership. So we, we developed like a whole kind of package of what you get. Um, and we, we've even gone into high schools. So, you know, go starting at the high school level, even middle school, honestly, we've done some middle school presentations too, um, all the way up into college where um, I even asked, this is kind of one of the things I did with the national committee is I, 
um, asked the um, headquarters and the board to update the student application to include an area for, because it only allows to for someone to fill out if they're in a college or university, um, but you're able to become a member if you're in high school. Um, so to add that box there, because, um, you know, we're reaching out to to kids as young as 11 at, yeah. in Connecticut. So how, how did it go with the middle schoolers? What did they think about it when you presented to them? So um, it was fun, actually. Um, I got so I wanted to mention to you, too, when you develop your list, you know, make sure you include some public school systems in there because they do a lot of career fairs as well. So. Um, so, yeah, we reached out to a lot of public schools um, in in our predominantly diverse uh, areas of Connecticut. So really okay. the bigger cities. Right. Um, Connecticut has again, it's a small state, but it has one hundred and sixty nine towns. And so there's about 10 to 12 urban areas. And so we really focused our efforts there. Um, but yeah, we uh, it's been three years now. We've done virtual and in-person uh, presentations, two of us go, um, to the middle school. And um, they actually put us with the eighth graders um, the last two years, which was great uh, because they're just older. They're asking more questions. The the sixth graders, some of them are 10 years old, you know, so right. they, they're super cute. Um, but, you know, they do ask questions, too, but they're still kind of getting into middle school where the eighth graders are really, you know, about to graduate going into high school. So, you know, it went really well. They asked a lot of questions. Um, they were very, you know, you could tell that they were just like surprised, you know, okay. and um, we really kept the conversation along the lines of, you know, um, how fun and and creative you can be and you can use all the things that you do now that your teacher yells at you about, you can actually use them in this industry and get paid a lot of money for it. You know, like when I told them that, you know, you can get hired as a social media specialist and just post all day, they were like, what? I do that now for free, you know? So it was just so fun to, you know, relate to them in that way. Um, it was great. Um, I love doing it. I love speaking to the, the kids. It's one of my favorite things with with DEI is doing the community outreach and kind of getting to their level and letting them know like this is an opportunity that no one knows exists. Like I say no one because people know exists. But like if you think about, you know, the bigger picture here, there's a lot of people that even in their 30s and 40s, especially people who change jobs during the pandemic and realize, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting more people coming into the industry, you know, at 30, 40 years old. And yeah. so there's even opportunities for them. Yeah. Not just, you know, the kids that are, you know, coming into the world. So, yeah, it was a uh, it was fun. That's good. Yeah, I'm a late bloomer myself in that I joined the industry in in my 30s. So, mm -hmm. yep. yes. <laughs> yes. So it's okay. It's, it's, there's a space for everybody here. <laughs> yes. No, my father actually worked in the industry for years. And then suddenly he was like, oh, maybe you'd like to do marketing. I'm like, Dad, you've been holding out on me this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does your father do? He was actually a project manager for a construction management firm. So, oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. So, that's how I got my first in into the industry. And I was like, Dad, all this time you've been doing these jobs. I'd like, when I was young, I'd go to sites with him and like walk around the sites. I loved that part. And suddenly he was like, Oh, by the way, you've been looking. So, maybe this would be something you like. I was like, You couldn't have told me this like five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what I do want to get into, because this is a lot of work, right? So how do you make sure that you take care of this, but also don't lose sight of your other goals and ambitions that you want to handle? Or do you think that this sort of encompasses everything that you are, that you want to goal-wise in your career? 
Mm. Yeah, that's such a great question because there's just so much there. Um, this work, like, I'm going to be very honest, like this work is exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's um, a lot of days I feel defeated, honestly, like um, it's really hard. It's mentally and emotionally <laughs> it's it's a lot. Yes. A yes. Lot. So, um, but it really goes back to the initial reason, right? Like my kids, like I see them every day, them crazy kids I look at every day <laughs> and, you know, and I love them and, you know, I see my son and my daughter and I'm like, gosh, you know, this is why I do this stuff. Like I want them to have better opportunities than me and their father had. Um, everybody wants that better for their children. So that's right. really what kind of keeps me going. But, um, you know, really understanding that when you kind of hit a wall or maybe you, you hit a bump, you know, and those bumps, you know, it could be where you're talking to someone who's being completely offensive and it's, um, and as the DEI, whether you're a director or you're running it, you have to really be able to manage your emotions and your own, you know, um, opinion when someone is, um, talking to you in a way that is just super, you know, whether it's racist, biased, sexist or whatever, but, you know, it sounds crazy, but there, there, there has to be room for everybody in this space. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have the people there that are, um, causing that kind of pain, you need to be able to kind of receive it and then go back to them with resources, things that, you know, offering them up, things that, you know, they can read, they can interact with to just try to help them see it from where you're seeing it. And a lot of times these people uh, who choose to think and be this way won't read that information. Um, but it's, it's, um, that's all you can really do. You're not going to be able to change people who are so dead set on, um, their views. But I will say that there are a lot of people, there are more people who are willing to try than the people who aren't willing to try. Um, and I've really recognized that. So, but when you, you know, have conversations with those individuals. And when you're, you know, you're done with the conversation, you just feel like I want to go to bed. I cannot do any other work today. That was so draining. Um, and it really makes you feel like I don't want to do this work anymore. Like that was a very awful experience, but, um, you just have to think, you know what, but there's, there's more people who wanted, who want to learn. There's more people who want to make a positive impact. And that's really what kind of keeps me going in those spaces. Um, I just know that this work is needed. And I've also learned that I can't do everything. Like in the beginning, I was like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I quickly realized how exhausting it was. Um, and again, you hit a lot of those those bumps where people aren't, you know, listening to you or they're not following, you know, some of the instructions you gave. And so that could be very disheartening a lot of times. But um, it's really just a matter of sticking to the, the one goal that you set for yourself. I think mm-hmm. if you have a goal like in your position too, like, you know, leading the DEI efforts there in the next year, like what is, what's the goal you want to achieve? And it could be something so small. And I actually recommend that, like, let it be something very small because 
it, no matter how big or small, like you're still making an impact and um, really just kind of setting the bar kind of low for yourself. Um, I give everyone that advice because if you set it too high, you're already you're already going to hit bumps and feel defeated with your little goal. So if you set a big goal, like forget it, you're going to quit. Like it's just how it goes. It's just so draining a lot of the time. So um, yeah, it's setting small goals and just keeping your your um, thoughts on the reason why you started in the first place. Yeah, that's such a good way to think about it because, you know, over in the overall scheme of things, people always like make the big goals, do the, this, you got to reach for the stars, but like set the small goal and start there. Like get yeah. one, get one win and then move on to the next one. Right. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Yeah, so the small and congratulate things. yourself and award yourself and others yeah. like you have to. Yeah, no, that's really good. Uh, so how so i've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately and people are talking about rest and resetting and how do we keep going because this work is not a sprint it is a marathon it's not mm -hmm. going to all change tomorrow so what do you do to rest and reset yourself so that you can come back refreshed and, and try again yeah um so like i said like uh, having that one day a week helps because it's like a boundary so really setting boundaries for yourself mm -hmm. and i'm big on this like in all aspects of my life um and boundaries are great because you don't have to tell people you're setting boundaries they're yours not theirs right, right. so um you can set boundaries where like okay i'm going to do this much this week um and and if I don't get to it this week, but I'll do it the next time it's on my calendar. Um, and that's where I get my rest. When I have those moments of those very um, draining conversations with those types of individuals that I mentioned before, mm -hmm. um, I, I take a, a break for the rest of the week. I'm just, I take the notes that I need to take based on that conversation. And then I don't, I don't come back to it for at least another seven days. Um, it really is a matter of stepping away from all of it for whatever amount of time works for you. Again, setting that boundary with yourself where I'm only going to do this much this week or after I had this conversation, it took so much out of me, I'm going to give myself a break. Um, you know, if people are coming into your space, whether it's your inbox, text messages, asking for whether it's podcasts or information, right? And you feel like, I mentally am so drained right now. It's again, setting that boundary with, you know, I can't do that right now, but you know, reach out to me again later, or I could do it on this day. Um, that's really how I've learned. Again, it wasn't like this in the beginning. I was like doing everything, all of it. And there are a lot of people who can tell you that they're like, she is everywhere. She's doing it. How does she sleep? So it's because I didn't. <laughs> right. No and good. so I learned, <laughs> I learned so much from that experience that um, it doesn't have to be every day all the time and i think as marketers we're so used to that well as marketers as women just saying we're yeah. just so used to doing it all the time like we have to always put in you know put in our a game and when the email comes in we got to respond right away it's like you know we i had to learn how i cannot do that i need to stop doing that in general mm -hmm. i need to build boundaries for myself but also for the dei stuff like it's just too much on the brain and on the mental and physical and emotional that you have to set those boundaries for yourself. So that's really how I keep going is I just, I do a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had to learn how to rest. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I come from a family where you have to be working, right? You have to be doing something. You can't just be lazy. Don't be laying around. So for me to say, I'm going to make this conscious decision to just do nothing 
was a very big deal. <laughs> yep. So, yep. so I it's had to very be like, hard to do. I need to turn my brain off. I need to just maybe listen to some music. I need to not focus on anything that is super duper important at the moment. It's how I've started to learn how to rest. I've started meditating. I do a yep. lot of yoga lately. So those are the mm-hmm. things that, that have been helping me, but it was really to unlearn that, that pattern of having to be on your, on your A game all the time and always do all the things and sort of how to slow down and take care of me so that I can also take care of the community. That's right. Yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent in agreement in agreement with that. Uh, meditation has helped me so much. I started that recently as well. Um, there's podcasts I listen to about thought work and like managing your mind around the thoughts that kind of come into your brain and learning that your thoughts aren't actual facts. Like you can think a fact, but like a lot of the thoughts, like if you really think about like how we create stories in our own mind about something that happened, Mm -hmm. like something happened. So a circumstance took place and then all of a sudden all these thoughts come through our head about that circumstance. And it's like, well, I just created a whole story in my brain. Like that wasn't even real, you know, like we, we do that all the time as humans. And, um, but that, but being able to manage thoughts and, it really helped with rest, like being able to be like, no, I'm going to rest right now. I'm going to go breathe or I'm going to go, you know, and and meditation, it really helps because you learn to kind of calm your mind and Mm -hmm. watch your thoughts versus actually consuming them. So yeah, I would say if anyone gets anything out of this podcast, it's, you know, resting, meditating and taking one thing at a time. Yes. Yoga is the thing for me that did it because I realized I took a yoga class and I didn't think about anything else until the class was over. I was like, just working on these poses. Let me do my pose. Let me breathe. And everything else was shut off. I was like, oh, this is really great. I didn't know I could do that. (laughs) My brain doesn't turn off like this. Yeah. (laughs) So that is why I do more yoga, but also the meditation. So that's really good. Um, Getting back to the work. How can D, so you've talked about part of your story was that you were interested in the Jedi work and that's how you brought it up as a goal and, and how you got to do it at your, comp, at your firm, but also that you brought it up for S&PS. So mm-hmm. what advice do you give for people to start from the bottom up? Because everything doesn't come from the top from management. So yeah. how do you sort of, what do you say would be the first step for somebody who wants to start it at an employee level that's not at a principal level or like, I'm just a marketing coordinator, right? So how how do I bring this to management and say that this is something I want to work on? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, thought that has to go into it before you bring it to management. So there's, there's a lot of work that has to go into it in terms of self-work and a lot of thought work. So as an employee, you have to kind of look at yourself and kind of look at, okay, what do I believe? How do I want to make an impact? Um, and taking a look at your environment. So whether it's your chapter, your region, or your office, your your company, and kind of looking at, you know, where are the areas where we can do better? Um, how can, again, how can I make an impact in those areas? So that way, when you go to your supervisor or leadership, you you can have that conversation um, with regards to, this is what I want to do. Here's where I think we can make an impact. Here's how it will work. So you it's, and this is just to say that when you go to your leadership and you have the conversation, they're like, oh, like they got this all covered. They got they got a plan because if you go and you kind of just have the conversation like. This is something I think we should do. 
they're going to be like, how about they're not interested in it? And you kind of lost the opportunity to to get them to listen to you if you're not fully prepared to have that conversation. Because if they're if they're kind of ready to dismiss you, you at least have enough there to prove that it's needed. Um, if you don't have enough in that first conversation and you're dealing with somebody who doesn't find DEI um, you know, is beneficial or needed, they're just going to dismiss you and then you kind of lost your chance. Um, so it's really kind of making sure that you're, you look at yourself and say, okay, you know, what could I do better as a person? Cause you got to lead by example. You can't take something on and then still have be throwing out microaggressions in the calf, you know, like you can't right. do that. Right. So you got to look at yourself. You got to see, you know, where can I do better? You got to take a look at your environment, kind of, you know, where can the environment do better? What would they uh, be more receptive to, you know, like um, things of that nature, whether it's training or just fun activities or, you know, what topics do you think you could start that will be more, um, you know, accepted in the beginning? Um, and then going to your supervisor. Yeah. And having that conversation. I think that that's really where you know, people can start. Okay. Those are those are very good tips. I have um, so many other tips. Like well, give us some more. Then. I mean, I have a whole bunch, you know, but I don't <laughs> want to overwhelm the group here. But, um, you know, that's but that's kind of where you want to start. Right? right. And then once you kind of so from from a company perspective, it's really, you know, once you kind of get that approval of like, OK, we want to do this you really got to bring a consultant in to help. Like you cannot, as a marketing person, that's, that is your position. That's what you get paid for. You need someone else to help bring it in. So hopefully, you know, you want your leadership to understand, like there is a, we need a budget. Like there's a cost that's going to come with this initiative. It's not all on you. And I see that there are a lot of firms who are like, you know, do this and do that. And you should be doing this. And they really kind of leave it to the person who brought it up. They don't really get engaged in that. And so bringing in a consultant, they can help facilitate training. They can have the conversations with your leadership about working through some of their biases and things of that nature. You know, we all have bias and it's not about um, uh, removing the bias from us humans. Like th that's not possible. It's about managing our bias and making sure that everyone understands that, no, I do have bias here but I'm not going to use that bias to make this decision, you know, and kind of learning how to work through that. So a consultant can really help kind of do that stuff while you as the marketing coordinator, who's also the DEI coordinator, you're kind of focused on other stuff. You know, it could be putting on certain activities at the company with, um, with the employees, you know, doing other in internal communications. Again, it really ties well with marketing. So you can do other stuff while the consultant is helping at a more grand level. Um, when it comes to like chapters, like chapters need to identify some areas where you're lacking, you know, like I did. Um, you know, I actually did a, a talk. I did uh, CLS. I did a DEI session at CLS this year, which was so fun. Um, it was so great to be with everybody. And, um, you know, we really talked about, I started the conversation off with a really great inclus inclusion video that I share a lot. And then I was like, well, where, you know, look at your region. What are the inclusion issues that you see, you know, and I, and I, I came up with one right there in the presentation. I said, look, a lot of the chapters are, you have members who have to drive four or five hours for programs, you know, like that in itself has been a, you know, um, 
an issue, an access issue for since SMPS started, you know, so really kind of that is a DEI issue. And I, I, so I really talked a lot about issues that people would have never thought like that's DEI. And that's really why I think um, resonated with a lot of people. And that's kind of the work that I want to continue to do is get you to see that DEI does include you, even right. though you might be a white male, you know, mm -hmm. like it does include you and it does include your community. And this is why, because I really just try to let people know DEI is is an access issue. Like, and so we all have access issues. So when chapters can think about, well, where are the access issues? Whether it's access from a certain people into the chapter, to programs, to content, you know, like where are the access um, issues? And then from there, you can really start to develop an initiative that you can work on. Yeah, as you say, access issues, I'm thinking about how we've been mostly virtual for the last two years. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I thought about in the beginning was we don't close caption anything. Yeah. We still haven't haven't done that, but it's something that we need to do if we're going to include everyone, right? Because yep. not everyone can keep up with these virtual conversations and not being able to read lips or just see one person speaking on the screen. And that is that is an inclusionary issue, right? So let me write that one down. <laughs> yes, sure exactly. Bring it back up. <laughs> yep. And we developed that during my president year too. We added closed captioning to all the 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 programs. And I think now that Zoom might automatically have it. Um we so. actually had an outsider yeah. come in and do it for us, do live captioning. But I think that some of the platforms now, again, because everyone's kind of picking some of their own DEI initiatives, mm -hmm. that they actually added that. So it's part of it, probably at a certain package you get, but it's right, part right. of it now, which is great. But yeah, it's any kind of access issue that you can identify. There was actually one, because um, I did a lot of, during that presentation, I really wanted to pull from the audience so we can kind of tap into um some of the issues they were currently dealing with and which I think what made the session uh, very successful because I was kind of giving people ideas right on the spot and they're like, right. yes, you know, <laughs> this is what I'm going to use. Um, but there was one woman who actually told me um, that she has members who feel like they have to drink at events. Like they feel oh. like, you know, and it was such an interesting conversation because she's right. Like when you're at an event, like someone's like, did you get a drink yet? Or you get drink tickets. And so how about if you're someone who, and in her situation, she was pregnant and didn't want people to know yet. Uh -huh. So, you know, she wasn't drinking and people were like, well, why don't you have a drink yet? You have people who are recovering and, mm -hmm. you know, being in that space is already uncomfortable. I don't care what they look like. Yeah, It's already uncomfortable because they're recovering or, or, or you know, just started AA or whatever, whatever it was. And so, you know, I had came up the idea to say, well, why don't, you know, at programs, when you have drink tickets, you have like a signature mocktail and you put it out there. Like it's on all the communications. There's a sign for it when people go in, because that, again, you're not bringing any light to anything specific, but you're saying that for those people who don't want to drink, we have a cocktail for a mocktail for you that you right. can have. And it allows for people to have it. People are complimenting on it. So now people are not saying, why aren't you drinking? They're talking about the really cool drink that you have and they may want to have it too. And so that is just one idea where you're kind of, again, you're bringing in those people who already feel uncomfortable about drinks. Mm -hmm. Now you've created a space for them to feel like, okay, well, I'm going to have that drink and you know, it's going to be, it's 
cool. It's cool right. to drink it's a cool this. Drink. It's, it's yeah. okay that it doesn't have alcohol. That's interesting exactly. because that's not something I am not a big drinker myself, but I know when I go to events, I'll have my one little drink and then I'll switch to water or ginger ale. But I've never thought about the fact that people feel pressured to drink. Right. So, yeah. Yep. And, and we do have a lot of that, right? Because you have a happy hour and we're like, oh, we're all going to drink. And you don't think about the person who maybe wants to come for the camaraderie, but not necessarily for the alcohol. Right. So right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and that's what I love so much about these types of platforms, whether they're, you know, um, when we're talking about DEIs, because you always get a new perspective every time and you're like, wow, I never thought about that. And when you're doing the work, you, now you, you think about it now mm -hmm. it's in your brain. And so when you see someone who isn't drinking, you know, I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to say anything. Like you just learn every time right. it's like a, the, you know, like you were saying before, like it is a marathon. It is, it's a marathon that like never ends actually, you know, like you're just <laughs> constantly, it's just such a journey with like really no destination, right? Like you just are constantly learning. Um, after you meet each each person that you meet and you have the conversations. And I could even say that I think I've helped my husband so much with certain things because there's certain things that happen now, even with the kids, you know, like t teaching the kids certain ways to be more inclusive and um, certain words to use that are more inclusive. Um, it's just it's just really great to see that, you know, they learn that now and that's the way they're going to think about it moving forward. It's just it's a. It's such a great moment. It's a oh, blessing. That's good to like be able to say that you've passed it on, right? We're doing this work for them to help them to also help ourselves, but then to also give them the tips and tricks so they maybe they pass that on to some of their friends, right? So I'm using this word instead of that word, and we move forward from there. A good example of that is I don't know if you saw recently the controversy controversy with Lizzo that she released yes. a song and but then she re-released it with she changed the words. So you know, like when somebody points it out to you, if you could make that change, that's a great thing. Yes. Yeah. And there was actually a conversation around how she made the change, right, to the song, to the lyric. But then people kept talking about it. And right. so it was the conversation around like cancel culture and stuff like that. And, you know, it's true, though. It's like, well, when you do like the whole point of when making a mistake and then getting that information and then, you know, fixing it, it's like that was the point of bringing right. it up it's supposed to be the point, you know, of saying, so there's a lot that, uh, that we need to be considerate of when we're doing DEI work too, that I want everyone to also hear this, please let this marinate that when you're doing this work, whether you're in a chapter or at, or at your company and you're now kind of putting out there, like, look, we have this program or about inclusion. And this is, this, these are the steps we're going to take as a company and everyone's on board. If somebody makes a mistake, if somebody, says something that is biased or it's a microaggression or if somebody makes a mistake, you have to give them that grace to say, you know, that was, I was offended by that and let them respond. Let them say, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I didn't know because a lot of times that is the case. Like they didn't realize that that was offensive. And so you got to give them a chance to you know, say sorry, they learn from that, and then hopefully it doesn't happen again. You know, if it keeps happening, then you can take that to HR or, you know, depending on how severe the situation is. But we really have to give people grace. And I feel like, you know, I think Lizzo got it, you know, who doesn't love Lizzo? But still, like, it, it's the same with a lot of other people who make mistakes and people are just like, oh, no, they're canceled and that's it. Like, we can't, we can't do that in this work. Like, if we're leading these efforts, especially if you're leading it and you're part of it, you can't just choose okay well 
Um, I'm okay with uh, LBGTQ community, but I'm not okay with black people. Like that, right. it's not, you don't get to have it both yeah. ways. You like, got you to gotta take it all. You got to take it all and you got to really be able to um, give people grace when they make mistakes and, and hold them accountable. You know, you can hold people accountable to, you know, moving forward and making better decisions moving forward. But um, just canceling people isn't really going to help, you know, the issue that we're trying to address. Right. And that's something that I have discussed with friends, you know, like we hear this company made some egregious mistake and people are done with them. And the, the question is always, when do we let them make the mistake and learn from it and change something? And when do we just say, okay, that's it, we're done. I think if the comp if when we're speaking about companies in that matter, if they do it over and over again, then yeah, you can say, okay, we're done. We told you, you didn't change, you keep doing it. Right. But you have to give the ability, you have to let people know that they've done something wrong and give them the, the ability to make that change. You can't just say you did it wrong and that's the end of you if they didn't know it was the wrong thing to do, right? So right, right. We give we give children grace. We should also give ourselves grace as as adults. We should be able to say that something is wrong and explain why it is harmful to yourself or some a certain group and then give that person the opportunity to make it right, right? To That's not right. do it again instead of just saying, well, that person is canceled. I'll never work with them again. So right. Yeah. That's right. And we see that a lot. I've seen it here. You see it everywhere where someone does make a mistake and then the person sees the mistake. They don't address it with the person, but then they go and start a whole peanut gallery about what the person mm -hmm. did. And we've seen that here and we're trying to work through ways to kind of give people, you know, you know that they have the company's support. But like if you see something that happened that you don't believe was okay, you can say something. Right. And, you know, and I think that messaging is really important in a company because the person that did it knows that the person they're talking to is going to say something and vice mm -hmm. versa, right? Like everybody kind of knows that this is a space where it's okay to right. hold people accountable to the things that they say. And creating that type of culture is really what that's what the work we're doing here like we already have a really great culture at hrp it's super relaxed you know there's dogs and kids and the you know like it's just <laughs> right, a great right, right. community that hrp has for sure but it is this you know if something happens you have to say something we see something say something like we that's what we say here like you have to be able to say something and you have to know that okay i'm gonna get grace for this it's okay it's you know we're learning, we're learning. It's that constant messaging that we try to put out there so people know that this is a safe space. Yeah. Now, you just mentioned learning, which made me think of, of so many people in maybe social media and just in life. They're always listening and learning. When do you get from listening and learning to actually doing the work or making the changes? What do you think are the steps there? So uh, from, I guess, and that, that, that's a great question because from a chapter or company standpoint, like I feel like it's our responsibility to create that access, right? Mm -hmm. To like, okay, you learned it and now how do you put it into action? And that's where I see, again, the, the, the foundation of where you are. So whether it's in your home or at your company or in your chapter, you have to create that access point. So, you know, having 
if um, especially when you're doing like surveys and stuff and you kind of are aware of some of the things that continuously happen or just some of the um, things that you want to change, whether it's in your company or chapter, like creating, you know, work uh, workshops or trainings or, or activities that kind of surround that particular change that you mm -hmm. want and allows people to actually put it in action. So like one of the trainings that we do here that our consultant offers is like improv, where like you can actually act out a certain situation and then, you know, let people say like, oh, well, this should have happened or that should have happened. And then people really see like, oh, that was the impact of that. I never even thought of that. And so it's it's creating those um, platforms for people to actually take the learning and put it into action. So that's yeah. what I think that should be done. Um, and that's where that's why I think that module of like doing those kind of in-person improv activities are very common with like DEI consultants. Mm -hmm. It's because of that same thing. So you can do a bunch of webinars. That's great. Doesn't, doesn't hit the same way as if you're in person though, right? Right, <laughs> so. right, right. You can do that, but then to be able to actually see something happen or 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 actually um having your you know coworkers or um you know chapter members share stories about things that they actually dealt with, mm -hmm. like real life experiences that that also kind of hits home with people as well because yeah. they look at this person and they're like I never would have thought that they dealt with something like that or, and, you know, to really pull at heartstrings is really what gets people to change too. Um, you know, those personal stories and stuff that really make impacts, you'll see a lot from the learning and, you know, there's a, there's a change there with how they act. That is one of the things I struggle with between sharing my story and almost having like to, to have to put my trauma on display for people to yeah. understand. And yeah. I don't always know where the line is. Like, I want to tell you X, Y, and Z because it happened and you need to understand it. But I also don't want to have to tell you because you don't think that this is real, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. I never know where, you know, it, it obviously depends on the circumstances and who you're dealing with. But I sometimes struggle with where is the line for when I have to explain myself or when you just need to believe that this happened to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally understand that. You know, my my husband is black and my children are black and I've I've had I've been in the black community my whole life. So I there are a lot of things that when I just I understand um, the fear and a lot of things that um, the black community thinks because I've seen it so closely, like, obviously I'm not black, so I don't understand fully what it's like to be a black person, but right. to see and to love, I love so many black people. So when things are happening to black people, like the, there's a fear that overcomes me um, with a lot of what has happened and what continues to happen. So I also noticed that we watch, I have always watched a lot of black films, I've read a lot of, you know, books authored by black um, people, and I've realized that a lot of people don't read yeah. or watch black films. And it was, it actually just occurred to me recently, and I actually, because I have a lot of white friends, so I texted all of them. And there was a movie, we actually watched Queen and Slim. It was like a year or two ago, wow. we watched okay. Queen and Slim. And it was so just, you know, it was just, it impacted me. It impacted me. Like some of mm. those, some of those movies and their stories sit with me for a few days. 
And so I had asked a couple of my friends, like if they watched it and they didn't even know what it was, they'd never even heard of it. And it dawned on me. I'm like, well, have you ever watched 12 years of slave or have you ever watched the help? Or like, I just kind of was talking about all these other movies I watched right. and they were like, no, no, no. And I'm like, wow. And so, you know, I don't know why I got down this road, but like my, <laughs> my whole, like the, the, being in this space, right. And kind of seeing what and experiencing the fear mm -hmm. that I have when my husband leaves the house, like it's just a real fear. So I'm not speaking, uh, as a black person, cause I'm not black, but I'm speaking of as a person who loves a black person and has black children who I love, like uncontrollably, like I have a real fear that I live with. Yeah. It's just the truth. And so to, okay, now I remember to your point where you were saying about telling your story. I think that my, my opinion on that would be if there's a platform for you to, to tell it and you feel like this is, this is where I want to tell my story. That's where you tell it. Like, yeah. you know, like the day-to-day -day of like why I feel this way or whatever, it's because of this, like the day-to-day -day stuff, because right, you go through it every single day. Like there are right. things you think about when you wake up in the morning that other people just don't think about, period. Yes. They don't even know what that is. They couldn't even imagine what that is. So um, it's really just knowing where, what's the right platform for me to actually make the biggest impact. Um, is really my opinion on that. And I will also say that I had, I've been struggling with the things that happen in our world, in our country, regarding black people, the black community. Um, there are times where like, I want to like, have like a session here, like a, just get everyone together to kind of talk about the, the things that are happening. Now there's things happening all over to all different communities. Right. And so I struggle with like, well, are we having talks every week based on all the bad things that are happening? But um, at the rate the, we're going right now, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that but yeah. it really like having conversations about some of the stuff that's happening, that's really happening in our country can kind of help with getting people to um, to at least stop and think about, wow, this is horrible or why is this happening or what can I do, you right. know, to help with this? And um, I actually was I was I was in a meeting with my boss uh, a few weeks ago and it was it was we started talking about DEI but that's not what the meeting was for originally and um he had mentioned the uh someone had posted about the the buffalo shooting and um he he had he he mentioned it and um he said it was on LinkedIn or whatever and I was like yeah that was that was tough. And then I got very emotional, which I don't typically do at work. Because it and just, sometimes it hits you. You don't, you can't yes. you don't see it coming, right? Yeah. And that, that specific experience was very like that. I could not shake that one for at mm -hmm. least a week. Mm -hmm. That one was hard because it was so just specific. It was, it was direct. He knew what he was doing. It, it was towards people in my household, like, cause yeah. that's how I look at it. Mm -hmm. Like these, that is to this, my family could have been at that grocery store and he would have killed them. Like, that's just, you know, how I take it. And yeah. so I got so emotional because I got emotional when it happened. And he was like, 
he was so like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for even bringing it up. But I think it really, that moment. So talking about kind of where you share your story or like you share your feelings on something, it impacted him. And I didn't expect, we didn't expect none of that to happen, but it's those moments where like, it's just really real. Mm-hmm. And somebody that you work with experiences that realness. And it's like, oh, my God, like, clearly that situation did not impact him the way it impacted me. And he recognized that and also recognized that this is this is not OK. We need to do something about it, it made him realize the things that people talk about regarding as a CEO or as leadership, you need to know what your employees are thinking. You need to know, mm-hmm. n- not thinking, but how they're feeling right. when these things happen. That was the moment for him. I think yeah. he was like, oh, wow, this is a thing. This is really a thing. And I think that he may not have thought about that because we employ maybe two black people out of 120 here. Right. But it's not just impacting black people, yeah. you know, yeah. like and that was where I think he was he realized we got to do something. We have to do something about this. And not because you went in there to change his mind, just because it sort of spilled out while you were there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because you can't always control where it's going to show up. You can't. You can't. And and this is why we're doing this work. Like, you know, because there's there's so many other things that happen on a day to day, you know, Mm -hmm. people with, um, you know, certain abilities, kind of what they go through. And there are people with abilities that. You don't know people who are deaf in one ear unless they tell you. You don't right. know, like, there's just so many things that you don't know when it comes to abilities that, you know, they're not voicing this. And so to be able to create spaces where people could be like, oh, well, I actually deal with this every day. And it's an opportunity for a company or a chapter to make that small change that will work for them, now help them have better access and the people that come after them. It's just, it's good to have these conversations. Very good. Yeah, it, it. I hope that the work that I am doing, and I don't know that I've been sp- particularly successful at it just yet, but I really hope that this work makes other people feel comfortable to bring, to be their whole selves, right? To show up yeah. as you are, to be inclusive of people who are not the same as you, um, when I'm running my committee meetings, one of the things that I always start with is I call it comments, questions, and concerns. Because in the last two years, there have been days where I've shown up for that meeting and I'm like, I don't even want to talk about what we're supposed to discuss because look at what's going on in the world. And yeah. I want to make sure I give people the space to like say where their head is at, right? Maybe you don't want to be here, but you've decided to join us and I appreciate that. And I want to give you the space to just get something off your chest if that's what you need to do, right? Yep. So I try to make that my little bit of inclusive space instead of just jumping right into the meeting and like talking about all these other things that we want to take care of for the chapter. We need to also be able to take care of ourselves. I think that sort of goes back to the rest and how do you how do you pace yourself with this whole work, but also feeling comfortable enough to share with the group and at least get it off your chest. Like sometimes you just need to tell somebody, right? You don't. Yeah. Yeah. You can't keep it all inside. You need to just say it out loud and it doesn't necessarily need to be handled. It just needs to be spoken. Yes. Yes. I try to, I try to leave that space. That's really important. Um, you know, we, we started, so we do like the DEI moment, you know, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of our board meetings for the chapter and we want all committees to kind of have that moment. And, um, with our, cause I no longer uh, lead the task force. There's a new person, um, leading the DEI task force. Um, but me and her talked about how instead of like, 
asking kind of someone to come up with something to say, you know, let's put a topic out there. And so we actually started with topics that, again, were more about work-life balance and, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? What's the, what's your, what's the, your most favorite thing to do during the workday or before or after work. And so again, it, it put DEI was there as the title, mm-hmm. but the topics were more th- things that I think people were, would be like, that's DEI or why are we talking about this? Or I actually have something to say. And mm-hmm. so it just really allows people to kind of approach DEI. It, it makes it more approachable, right? Okay. For people who feel like I'm not, of color or I'm a man. So this is not for me. You know, it's that, that, that typical stuff that people kind of look them at in. Right. So like, yeah, yeah. It have really, a place here too. Yeah, exactly. It invites them in. And that's really where, um, we've seen more conversation happening because people are like, no, I could relate to this topic. Um, and then, you know, once people kind of get comfortable with talking about things that aren't work or aren't, you know, a about anything like that, um, it allows to say, okay, well, we now we want to talk about, you know, Roe v. versus Wade or, you know, like other stuff that people, again, may have different perspectives on, but having conversation with different perspectives is okay too. And like, it, we need to allow for that space that where people can like, it's okay to disagree. Like we're going to have our own perspectives, but we have to understand that we're learning from each other during that conversation. Like if everybody thought the same, this would be a very boring life. Like, yeah. you know, like it's okay for us to think differently, but making sure that people know, like I can say my part and I don't feel judged. I don't feel like people are coming at me. You know, you need to be able to have those spaces because when people feel like, okay, I'm included, I belong, no matter what I think, no matter how I look, they're just going to perform better. They're going to be happier. They're going to be more comfortable. It's all the things are just, and there's so much data that proves this. So like, I don't even need to get into the numbers. It's just fact. Like when you feel comfortable, you just are better. You work better. It's just a fact. Yes. I can attest to that. <laughs> when I yes. feel comfortable, I definitely show up as my whole self and yep. I will share with the group and and provide more feedback and and just be way more involved than than if I'm not comfortable, right? If I'm not included. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's very good. Um my last question is actually, what are you hoping to accomplish in the next year? Okay, so from a SMPS perspective, um, I really want to continue the efforts, like I mentioned before, about getting people more connected with DEI on that level of, oh, this is for me. So like what I was just talking about, of talking about different topics that really relate to some of the access issues that they've seen, whether it's mm-hmm. in their home life, work life, chapter life, right? Um, you know, really getting people to kind of see what those are and then expanding on that and saying and developing their own initiative. So I really from, you know, from an SMPS perspective, that's where I wanna I wanna continue that work. It's been really great to like have those conversations with people because I'm learning from them. It's stuff I could take back to my chapter or my company and vice versa. So that's been really rewarding. Um, and I want to continue that. And I think from an HRP perspective, um, I want to do more activities next year. Again, you know, people are like finally back into the office. We hired mm-hmm. a bunch of new people. And so I really want to do more activities that are, that are surrounded by, um, 
learning about different cultures. I want to have some book clubs going. I want to kind of get people together. Um, we have a lot more remote workers now. So kind of creating, this was like another idea, right? Where, you know, how you have like, um, you may have like a meeting where you might have it, you know, the camera in a room in the corporate office where there's like 20 people there. Mm -hmm. And then you have like 20 people on the phone. Like, it's really hard to like hear what's going on in the room. And and there's not a lot of, I feel like there's not a lot of awareness around the people who are on the webinar, who yes. are on the call and like what <laughs> they hear and what uh -huh. they can't hear. There's like, I don't think anybody really cares, <laughs> to be honest. So I wanted we're to create more. We're not worried about more. those people. They didn't they're really <laughs> not. They're just like, you're on, okay, we're here. But like, they're really, the people who are in the big room are really the ones who are like, you know, communicating and having fun because there's more connection happening there, right. obviously. And so, um, again, this was just something that I've recognized where I want to have more like virtual only events for all the people who are virtual. So like, uh, they work from their house or whatever and kind of creating, again, activities or topics that they can talk to because they can all relate to each other. And it allows for them to to feel inclu included in that space because we're all the same, right? right, in a way. Like we all have like similar challenges. And it also gives them an opportunity to get to know each other better because they're never seeing each other, you know. Um, and so I just wanted to create more activities around inclu inclusion and um, – Lastly, it's really working on our recruitment kind of, you know, breaking down like our recruitment strategy and kind of building it back up with with Jedi being like, you know, front and center there. And this really is something that chapters also, I think, need to do. Like, I don't think a lot of chapters have a recruitment strategy. Um, I just don't like I feel like I'm really happy that SMPS have like we were at back at like seven over 7,000. But we've been at that number for a really long time. Like it would just be really great to double that number. And I think that if chapters you don't had some kind of recruitment strategy around again, what their region is, the colleges that are there that, you know, like having, making sure that people there's a lot of word of mouth, like there's just all this stuff that I think we could do to like grow the chapters. Um, that's really what I want to focus on more from, again, a company perspective is kind of rebuilding our recruitment strategy because we're not going to diversify overnight. We have to diversify the applicant pool. Like that's what we have to focus on. So that way we're getting more diversity in the people who are applying. Um, and, you know, we're an environmental health and safety remediation company, you know, so you know, getting kids interested in geology and, you know, health and safety at a young age, you know, that's really where the commu community outreach is. So like really wanted to kind of get more into that, you know, maybe even creating some programs around, you know, like some summer programs around kids learning about rocks because we have, you know, we have geologists here too. So, sure. and just really kind of, you know, exposing kids in urban communities about, you know, what that, career looks like or what are the things that you can do so I mean a lot of kids love rocks when they're really little and it's like they move away from that right but like on to other things yeah so but there's like a total space there that we could tap into the kids who love cool different rocks and things like that so yeah that's what I'm really you know that those are some goals again I want to start those things I don't want to finish them and right. have them be perfect it's really just you know building a better system uh that keeps it flowing from from next year and beyond so that's those are my goals
one other thing that we didn't touch on that I just want to briefly mention. I know you are working with SNPS headquarters and you've you've been helpful with that DEI efforts. What has that been like? Yeah, so um, I was on the the committee for a year. Um, I think right right when it started, um, and uh, that was really it was really amazing to be part of that group. Such a great group, and Ashia Warren, she's the task force leader, and she is amazing. Um, it was great to be part of you know building out the philosophy statement that we came up with, and you know again like meeting so many different um, leaders from other chapters and. Uh, talking a lot about the, some of the the issues that they were having, I shouldn't say issues, but again, just access issues, right? Like right. things that they wanted to change. Um, you know, I did a lot of, you know, I did some podcasts. I I, I worked with a lot of people to kind of help, you know, because I was doing so much in Connecticut that I really kind of got pulled into a lot of spaces to just share that mm-hmm. information, which I did. Um, we we developed DEI best practices. Um, in the Connecticut chapter, I think I developed those before my president year or during, but with the task force, we came up with them and I gave them to headquarters to the task force. Um, because I'm like, this is a starting point. Like none of the stuff that I did, I wanted to keep in Connecticut, you know, like I want, you know, this work to spread. I want people to take whatever idea will work for their region and, um, and start from there. So, um, yeah, I did share those with them and, you know, the task force, the national task force, you know, they created a whole, um, speaker database for all speakers of color. Um, it was just great to be part of that and to learn from them. And they're doing a really good job. They're keeping their foot on the on the pedal. Um, and it's really great. And I hope that a lot of the chapters utilize those resources. Um, and if there's something that they want that they don't see, you know, contact headquarters and contact the Shia Warren on that. Um, they're doing they're doing everything they can to make sure that the chapters have a DEI resource. Um, and so it was really great to be, to be part of that, um, the establishment of that task force. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. That's very good. We actually put a DEI position on the board in 2019 and then everybody went home. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So our, our initial DEI director was Sarah Hoff. She's actually a former chapter president. I love her. And it was her idea. She sort of came to the board and she said, you know, I think this is something that we really need to focus on and we should get started on this. And she volunteered to be the first DEI director. Unfortunately, we probably gave her that position in maybe December. And then by March, we were all from home. So a lot of the ideas that she wanted to do, we didn't get to put into place. She was going to do some surveys, some some group outreach, and then it just with everything in flux, we weren't unable to take care of it. But I really yeah. appreciate that she sort of said, you know, she had the foresight to say, hey, this is something that we really need to get ahead of. We don't, we don't want to be <laughs> behind the eight ball. And yeah. she sort of said to me, because I was already on the board, I was director of communications. And she was like, I think that you would be a good person to do this. And I was like, but why does it have to be the black lady? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but she was right. You know, I, it is something that I do have a passion for because of how I've lived my life, right? Not necessarily like, hey, everybody has to be DEI, just more like, can we bring everybody in the room? Can we all get together? Yeah. And so that is sort of how I'm approaching this whole position. So mm-hmm. I hope I'm doing all right. Oh, I'm sure you are, <laughs> Tiffany. And, you know, I applaud Sarah for asking you because there are some people would be too scared to ask you because you're black. 
Mm-hmm. They'd be like, no, I don't want to ask her because she's going to think that I'm asking her because she's black. And like, whether or not that's true, it doesn't matter. Like, okay. it's just asking, like, here's this opportunity. Do you want to do this? You know, and whether she thought you were good for it or not, that that doesn't matter. Like, she brought this opportunity that is a good opportunity and she mm-hmm. asked you. And so I really love that she did that. And I think, you know, more more people in general need to be, you know, more active in that way and not being afraid of, well, I don't want to offend this person. Like, how are you going to offend that person if you're giving them an opportunity or you're asking about something that you don't understand? You know, like I even said in my presentation, I was like, you, it, it's, it's okay to be intentional. Like one of the things that we're dealing with in our chapter is, you know, when it comes to programming and workshops, our speakers need to be diverse, like mm-hmm. period, period. That's what has to happen. So if you have to stalk black people on LinkedIn, <laughs> then you just have to, you know, like, and, and because that is the point, because there are, if your network is not very diverse with different ethnic backgrounds, then you're never going to offer up a speaker who's from different ethnic backgrounds. Like mm-hmm. it's just that simple. And so you need to develop your network. Now, if you want to stalk people from different ethnic backgrounds on LinkedIn and you want to ask them to be speakers, that's fine. But I also want to challenge you to make them a friend, like build a relationship. It doesn't just have to be, okay, well, you're a speaker and then you never speak to them again. Get to know different people from different backgrounds. And that's one of the struggles that I think a lot of chapters chapters are having is that the people who are making decisions on speakers don't have diverse networks. So they're, they're bringing the same people every year and you see it a lot. You, there are a lot of speakers in our industry are used over and over and over and over again. And so being able to diversify your network, whether it's, you know, ethnically, racially, but also, you know, topic wise, you know, as long as it stays within the domains, like, you know, just reach, reach for more people. And so, you know, I'm, I'm constantly bringing that up where it's okay if you're intentionally, you know, focusing on black women or, you know, Asian men or whatever it is. Like if that's what you want, if you want to see more diversity, you're going to have to do that. And people, you know, people, if they, if they're not interested in participating, they're just going to tell you no, and then you just move on, you know, but there's a whole, there's a very uh, big part of, you know, courage and bravery that comes with this work too. Like you got to be brave. You got to have confidence in yourself because, and that confidence is, as hard as it is is for people to think they are confident, right. And to know what that is. Like if you are willing to do hard things and be able, and you know that you can deal with the results of that, that's, you have confidence there. And so you really need that to do this work. Like you need to be able to do hard things and be okay with how it turns out and know that you're going to be okay. Alicia, I want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. It has been a pleasure. I, um, For listeners who don't know, I did get a chance to hear you speak during chapter leadership uh, two years ago, I believe it was. They, I had the pleasure of being able to attend because it was virtual and it wasn't just the president. So <laughs> I got to come. So that is how you and I connected. And I just really want to thank you for being involved in this work and for sharing so freely and for joining me for this conversation today. Um, and I'll let you sign off.
Great. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Um, I'm so happy to be here and be part of this conversation. And I look forward to having more conversations. Yes. Thank you. If you have any feedback, questions, ideas, a great story, or just want to get involved or be part of an episode, email us at themarketingdepartmentpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to like, review, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Department.